You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Spirit, we do thank you for your rich, uh, unquenchable, deep grace for us that never stops. And we Pray that you would pour out that grace on us now through the person and power of the Spirit, that as we turn to your word, that you would help us to not just be hearers, but doers of your word, responding to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you've been with us, uh, I guess since last week, uh, we started a new sermon series for this season of Eastertide and Pentecost that we're in that is called Power in Weakness, Power in Weakness. We're looking at the book of 2 Corinthians, which is a a pretty overlooked book of Paul's, but uh, one of my favorites. And in this book, Paul is, the great theme of this book is that the death and resurrection of Jesus that we just celebrated, the death and resurrection of Jesus is more than just our ticket to heaven, but it actually, these events give us a new way to live. In other words, Easter is not just about life after death. It's about life before death. It's about how we live a new kind of life. That just as God's power of the resurrection was manifested through the weakness of the crucifixion, so now the power of God is most clear in and through your own weakness as you come to depend more and more on his power and grace. So uh, this morning, we're turning to 2 Corinthians, the last part of chapter 1. So let's hear God's word read by Karen Carroll. Let's listen as she reads. Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 4. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything that you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us, just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you may benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. 
Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this has been a year of a whole lot of no's. That's a word that we have heard a lot this last year. No, you can't come in here without a mask. No, you can't gather with a group that large. No, you can't have a wedding that big. No, you can't have your graduation. No, you can't play with your friends. No, you can't go on that vacation that you've been planning for so long. No, you can't hug your grandma you know, or, your gran- or you can't hug your grandkids. It's just been a year of a whole lot of no's. And if anything, I think all of these no's have shown us is that we're just reminded of how fragile and how unreliable this world really is. If we've learned anything at all this last year, we've learned that life is a whole lot less predictable and a whole lot less certain than any of us would like it to be. And so I think many of us might be asking now, like, how can we have any measure of stability moving forward in such an unstable world? How can we stay encouraged in the face of so many no's, so many denials, so many ways that our lives do not turn out the way that we wish they would? So in a roundabout way, friends, I know that that was a long and sometimes difficult to understand text, but in a a roundabout way, this is what Paul is getting at in this section of 2 Corinthians. The Corinthian church is frustrated with Paul. They're frustrated with him because they feel like that he has flaked out on his travel plans, that he had promised them one thing and that he ended up doing another, that he said he was gonna come this month and instead he came this month and he said he was gonna do this and instead he did that. And they think this is a sign of his poor character. They think he's fickle. They think he's unreliable, that he says yes out of one side of his mouth and no out of the other. And so on one level, what Paul is doing here is he's defending himself. He's actually explaining the rationale for his decisions and why he chose to do what he did. But in the way that Paul only can do, right in the middle of his defense of his travel plans, he puts this beautiful chunk of gospel. You can call it a gospel chunk. You know, that's kind of weird, but it's, it's right in the middle there in verses 20 through 22. And he begins to explain the good news about Jesus, and he offers this little theological reflection on the incredible dependability and faithfulness of God. And it all centers on a single word, the word yes. Yes. That in a season when we have heard so many no's, this yes of God 
is very good news for us. So let's dig into this by looking at the three wonderful yeses that Paul talks about in this text. And it's, a, it's yeses that bring comfort for us in our struggles. It's yes that brings us stability in a world of, of unpredictability. And it's yeses that remind us of God's power in our weakness. Okay, so the first yes is this, that God says yes to all his promises to you. God says yes to all his promises to you. Since the beginning of time, one of the fundamental problems of human beings is that we do not trust God. We just don't. You see it in the garden, Genesis 3, when we don't trust God that he actually is there for our good and we don't trust him right up to today. Is God really for us? Does God really love us? Is he really for our good? Does he really care about us? Is he even there at all? And when we face times of pain or struggle, when our experience in the world gives us a big fat no, or if we face a lot of little no's, you know, one after another, it really becomes easy to begin doubting the character of God, that God is really there, that he really loves us, that he really has a plan for our lives. One of the reasons why I love the Psalms is because it is full of people honestly grappling with their questions and their struggles about the dependability of God. People crying out, are you really there? When will you answer? When will you rescue? When will you respond to my cries? See, if we only looked at our circumstances, friends, we might have reason to believe that God is fickle. You know, that sometimes God is for us, but sometimes he's against us. That Sometimes he's trustworthy and sometimes he's not. That sometimes he's okay with you and loves you and sometimes he doesn't like you at all, right? Or worse, we might think that God is just conflicted within himself, that he's just a jumble of love and hatred or affection and indifference. Well, you know, sometimes you might even think we have one God that we see in the person of Jesus, but then there's this other sort of dark unknown God behind the back of Jesus that we can't really know and can't really trust. Have any of you ever felt this way? Well, look what Paul says in verses 19 and 20. He writes this, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now, this takes us to the very heart of the gospel, right? That in Jesus Christ, we know a God who is unequivocally for us, who has said without hesitation, yes, to you and to the world. God is not divided. He doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. He doesn't feel one way about you one day and then feel a different way about you another day, depending on his mood and your behavior. No, his word is yes for you because his word for you is Jesus Christ. In and through Jesus, God's final word is not judgment, is not damnation, uh, it, it's not punishment. God's final word for you is yes, because his final word over you is Jesus Christ. He goes on to say this, that all of God's promises find their yes in Christ. Just think of all the promises there are throughout scripture. God promises to, to save his people, to heal his people, to rescue his people, to redeem his people, to bring his people back to himself, to, to, to restore even creation, to resurrect us from the dead. God makes all of these promises and God says, Paul says that all of them find their fulfillment in Jesus. 
That means that either they have already been fulfilled in Jesus or they will be fulfilled. But either way, if you want to see how God is working out his purposes in the world, the person that we must look at only and always is Jesus Christ because God pronounces his yes in him. Now, this has been very encouraging to me personally over the years. You know, y'all might think, oh, uh, you're the pastor. You must have so much amazing faith. That is just so wrong. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I, have, I mightily struggle at times in my faith. I've had huge seasons of profound doubt in my life. Still, I'll, you know, at least once a week, I just wonder, yo, am I really loved? Is, is God really faithful? This is a great struggle. And when I, when I, and when I think about God as like the, in the abstraction, it's like some divine fuzzy presence up there in the sky, God feels unknowable. He feels inscrutable. Don't really know who he is or, or what he feels about me. But here's the good news, friends. God has not revealed himself in a concept or a philosophy or a moral worldview. God has revealed himself in this person. And when I look at this person, Jesus, when I see his mercy, I see his grace, I see his love, I see his kindness, I see his power, I see his love, I see his sacrifice on the cross, I see his powerful resurrection from the dead. When I look at Jesus, then I know that God is good and that he is true and that he is for me and for the world and he loves. And I just want to encourage you, if you are struggling in your faith and you're struggling to believe that this struggle that you're going through has any point or that someone is actually in charge of the world and that everything in the end is actually going to be okay, look at Jesus because all of God's promises are fulfilled in him, in Jesus Christ. God's word for you is unhesitatingly yes. God's word for you is yes. That's the first amazing yes here we the second is this, is that God says yes to hear and answer your prayers. In the second part of verse 20, Paul writes this, through Christ, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, amen, this word that we say all the time, is actually an ancient Hebrew and Aramaic word that literally means yes. So when you pray a prayer and at the end you say amen, you're saying yes, you know, may it be so. If someone's preaching or praying and you say Amen. You know, we're Presbyterians go, hmm. Um, either way, what you're saying is, yes. You know, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. Now, Paul seems to be saying here is that our worship and prayer that is offered to God is like our little amen. It's our yes back to God's great yes to us in Christ. He's saying that all of our prayer and worship is done. See those two words? Say them together with me, class. Through Christ, thank you, is that, is that all of our prayers and our worship is done through Christ to the glory of God. Here's what this means. Because of God's great yes to us, we have this assurance that now we have access to God through Christ, who has become the great mediator between us and God, and now brings our worship and praise into the very presence of God himself. Let me explain what that means. First Timothy, Paul says that Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and humanity. Now, a mediator is like a 
a, a, uh, a go-between, a broker of a relationship or even a deal. You know, I really wanted to get UVA basketball tickets, but I couldn't because I, I didn't know right the people and I didn't have the right access. And so what did I do? I reached out to my, my buddy who was a scholarship athlete at UVA when he was there, and he got me the access that was impossible for me. You know, he was able to serve as the mediator between me and the athletic office to get me access in a way that was prohibited to me. And so this is what Paul is saying. He says, there is one mediator between us and God. We cannot serve as our own mediators. You can do nothing to secure your relationship with God. It doesn't happen through your, your sincere praise songs. It doesn't happen through your fervent prayer life. It doesn't happen through you living the right kind of life. It doesn't happen through you having lots of knowledge of the Bible and theology. In fact, our relationship with God, everything about our relationship with God did you hear me, friends? Everything about our relationship with God is mediated through the person of Jesus Christ. Athanasius, my, one of my favorite early church fathers, Athanasius, once said this. He says that Jesus exercised a twofold mediation ministry. He said Jesus ministered the things of God to man and the things of man to God. Now you might be like, what the heck does that mean? Well, listen, we often talk about that first phrase that Jesus mediates God to us because he is fully God, right? He is God's word to us, God's revelation to us. But we often don't think about that second phrase very much because Jesus is fully God and fully human. He's not only God's word to us, but he is also our human word to God. He is fully human, which means Literally, y'all, he is ascended in heaven at the right hand of the Father in the very presence of the triune God that literally one of us, a fellow human being, actually stands in the very living presence of the throne room of God and that he represents us and he stands for us and he advocates for us and he literally brings our flesh, our humanity into the very throne room of God himself. And this is a great comfort because even our response to God is taken care of by Jesus, the mediator. It's not like God, you know, Jesus died for you and, and, and God's grace was given to you, but now, you know, it's up to you to, to respond to God and you better not mess it up. You know, it's now it's your turn. So you better live the right way and you better pray the right way and you better read your Bible and you better live a good life. It's up to you. I hope you don't mess up this whole God thing. But no, it's not true. Jesus doesn't just minister the things of God to humanity. He also ministers the things of humanity to God. He is one mediator, not just from God's side to us, but also from our side to God. Are y'all following me here? Okay. Now, this is especially the case in prayer. We are never left on our own in prayer, as if we have to come to God and pray the exact words and have the right motivation in our hearts and pray in the right posture or, or in the right way. All of our praying is graciously taken up by God and received in and through Jesus Christ. So when we pray in Jesus' name, amen, we are recognizing that Jesus is ascended as our advocate. He's bringing our weak prayers, our feeble prayers, our selfish prayers, all of the ways that we mess up. He's bringing those things into the presence of the Father through his perfect mediation for us. You know, I hope that you have met um, Bob Stamps, 
Bob Stamps is a good friend of mine. He's a, a Methodist pastor. He's part of Third. He actually wrote all the communion liturgy that we use. And I called Bob on Friday afternoon. I said, Bob, talk to me about the mediation of Jesus. And he said, oh boy, will I ever. Sit down, grab a drink. <laughs> and he talked for like an hour about the mediation of Jesus. And I took copious notes and I actually, I actually quoted, I wanna, I wanna put something that he said up on the screen here. This is what Bob said. He said, Jesus prays in heaven in my name that I can pray there in his name. Jesus prays there as though he were me that I might pray there as though I were he. He prays there as the son of man that I might pray there as a son of God. He's just riffing, y'all. He should write hip-hop. I mean, this is amazing, right? <laughs> Bob Stamps, the, theo- the-, the theological hip-hop artist. Now, now, this is actually very practical, especially in our prayer life. James Torrance is a Presbyterian pastor, and he told a story about, he's Scottish, and he told a story about how he was in California for a conference, and he was walking on the beach, and he encountered this man, and they began talking, and the man found out he was a pastor, and he just began pouring out his heart to him. And he said, you know, after 45 years of marriage, his wife was dying of cancer. And he said, I've been walking up and down the beach all night, crying out to God, but I don't have any faith anymore. I don't even know how to pray anymore. I don't even know what to do. I just know that I can't live my life forward without knowing my wife will be there. And I don't know where God is. What do I do? What would you do if someone said that to you? Would you tell them to have more faith? Try harder. Well, here's what Torrance said. He said, look, you want to pray, you're trying to pray, but listen, in Jesus Christ, you have someone who is praying for you. You have someone who is interceding for you, who is bringing your heart's cry right into the very presence of the Father, who is holding on to you, who is carrying you. So stop looking to yourself and look to Christ. Because even in your lack of faith, even in your doubt, even in death, you're being held by him in the love of God. Rest in his love. This has been so helpful to me over the years, y'all. Three quarters of the time, I don't know what to pray. There's so many things in my life, people and situations and things going on inside of me that I don't even know what to pray for. And sometimes I don't even know, I I don't even want to pray. And so, you know, what I've started doing is I, I just sit in God's presence and I just let Jesus do the work. In fact, often I use this prayer that Bob Stamps taught me, and, and it just goes like this. Jesus of Nazareth, high priest of heaven, let's say I'm praying for Brooke. Hold Brooke in the strength of your prayer. Hold her in the Father's love. I'm asking Jesus to do the work that only he can do of mediating my own word to God, bringing it before him, and I can rest and just be brought up into the love and advocacy of Jesus for me and for my family and my friends. So that's our second great comforting yes, is that God says yes to our own response to him. So there's one final yes that we see here though, and that is that God says yes to keep you and guard you forever. You know, he talks here, in verses 21 and 22, he he talks about the Christ. Now Christ, you, you, you might know, is not Jesus's last name. It actually is a title, right? It means Messiah. Literally, it means the anointed one. And so Paul is actually doing a cool little uh, word trick here. In verses 21 and 22, he is literally saying, 
It is God who establishes us with you in the anointed one and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's verses 21 and 22. So what he's saying is, is that just as God has anointed Jesus the Messiah, so now we who belong to Jesus are anointed with the spirit in the same way. He says, Paul, he says the spirit is a guarantee of the final fulfillment of God's promises to us in Christ. This word, you see that last word in these verses here, guarantee? That was actually a word that was often used in business transactions in the ancient world that signified a seller's agreement to honor a contract. So if you ever bought a house, this is what you did. You had to put down a down payment, which was a big lump sum in advance that shows you how, that you intend to pay the rest you know, in due time. And so Paul says that when God anoints us with the Holy Spirit, it's like he is giving the first down payment in our hearts that he will ultimately fulfill in the final resurrection of all things. Or think of it like an engagement ring. When, when you get engaged, you give someone a ring and you are pledging yourself to a greater thing to come. So friends, for you who have the spirit of God, you actually have the first down payment in your life of the final renewal of all things. You, you have a engagement ring from God himself within you that he will get you to the wedding banquet of the lamb. And so this promise from God is not just words. God has given you his very presence and tangible power of the Holy Spirit living in you as a pledge and a promise that he will get you there. He will get you through that no matter what you face, no matter what struggle you go through, no matter the ups and downs or the twists and turns, nothing can stop God from carrying you to lasting life and lasting joy. He's given you the guarantee. He also says that God's spirit is like a seal on us. You see that right there? And this third line has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit. You know, in the old days, in the ancient times, kings would often seal an important letter or document with their signet ring on their finger. So they would take a letter that was important, they put it in an envelope, and they would melt some molten wax, and they would take their ring, and they would imprint their ring in the wax, and it was a sign of authenticity, that this was not a forgery, that this document or letter truly was from the king. This is the real thing. This is legit. It's authentic. And so what Paul is saying is that God has sealed you like that with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has marked you, sealed you, that you're real, you're legit, you're authentic, you're the real thing. You really are a child of God. You really do belong to him. You really are loved. It is God's amazing yes, a guarantee of his promise to you forever. You know, last week we had um, a wonderful baptism service outside on Sunday afternoon. We've had all these babies born during the pandemic. So we've had this big baptism backup and we got to clog up, you know, we got to unclog all the baptisms. And, um, and so there were three, three little babies being baptized. And I love, I love baptizing little babies. I'm not going to go into the theology of that here. If you want to have a beer, we can talk about that. That's fine. I'm not going to talk about that right now. But what I'm saying is I love really if anyone is baptized, but especially a child, because at the end of the baptism, I say the words to the child 
that the words that were said to you when you were baptized, likely, and also the words that have been said for centuries to the baptized, and they are the most beautiful words, and they are just simply this. It is, you know, I say the name of the child, you know, uh, Nemo or Everett or Susan or whatever, whatever, whatever. Sorry, I don't know why I said Nemo. Uh, whatever, whatever the name of the baby is. And you say this, you are a child of the covenant, sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, marked as Christ's own forever. And you know what? Sometimes I'm looking at this baby and I, I just get choked up because here's this little baby. doesn't know what's even happening. And I know that she's about to live a life and some of that life is going to be hard. She's going to go through ups and downs. She's going to go through valleys and mountains. She's going to go through twists and turns. She's probably going to go through times where she is heartbroken, where she feels rejected, when she feels ugly. She's going to go through times where she doesn't even know who she is. She doesn't believe that she's loved. She doesn't believe that anybody cares about her. She's going to question what she's supposed to do with her life. She's going to go through all of these things that we adults know because we've been through them now. And yet here, before she even has to face them, a word, a mark is given to her. You are sealed. You are marked. God says, you belong to me. Through all the ups and downs and twists and turns, right up to your very last breath, little baby. You are marked as Christ's own forever. This is your truest self, your truest identity that you belong to him and he will never let you go. You know, this is gonna sound kind of funny to you, but sometimes when I'm really discouraged, I will actually literally take a bowl of water and I will dip my hand in it and I will mark myself with water in the sign of the cross. And I will say, I am a child of the covenant. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism. I am marked as Christ's own forever. God is saying yes over my life. And he says yes over yours. Do you believe that? So we've heard these amazing yeses from God. Yes to all his promises. Yes to receive and answer your prayers. Yes to keep you, guard you forever. So let me just close with a challenge and a comfort to you. First of all, a challenge. Are you living like this is true? Brothers, sisters, are you living like this is true? That God has said yes to you in this way. Have you said yes back to him? We watched uh, Forrest Gump a couple weeks ago. First time I had seen that movie in a long time. And you know, one of the, the great themes in that movie is Forrest's relationship with his beloved Jenny. And you know, it's just heartbreaking because over and over again, Forrest says to her, yes, Jenny, I love you. Yes, Jenny, I will always be here for you. Yes, Jenny, I will protect you. Yes, Jenny, I will do anything for you. And again and again and again, she says no. No, 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 no. And you start to just, like, why? Why do you keep saying no to someone who so clearly wants you, clearly loves you, clearly will do anything for you? You keep saying no to someone who is so unequivocally saying yes. The great point that Paul is making in all of this is that he wants to be faithful as a person because he is trying to live his life as a big yes to the God who has said yes to him. And if you really grasp this, friends, if you really saw just how much God loves you, just how 
utterly committed he is to you, just how he is focused on you, committed to guarding and keeping you and keeping all his promises to you, how could you ever say no to a God who says yes like this to you? How could you walk away? How could you be indifferent? How could you live your life apart from him? Right? Some of you have never said yes to this God. Some of you said no a long time ago, and you know it because you're living your own life. You're living indifferently. You're just doing what you want, living how you want. Some of you are living in disobedience where there's some little dark corner, dark closet of your life where you are saying no to God. And his invitation to you is to return, to respond with your own yes to God's yes to you. A Christian is simply someone who wants to live their whole life now, everything in their life, saying yes to the God who has already said yes to them. That's what it means to know him. So that's the challenge. But the comfort is this. I think that many of us struggle to know and to really believe in what God thinks about you. You know, some of us, if you imagine that God was speaking to you, maybe either because of your, your, your shame or because of trauma or because of some dark part of your story, you just can only really hear God saying no. No, you're not loved. No, you're not good enough. No, you just cannot get it together. No, you're not worthy. No, nobody really cares about you. No, you haven't actually lived a good enough life. No, you're not a good parent. No, you, you haven't actually lived the kind of life I want you to live. It's like, it's like you, you know, imagine God sort of with, you know, look, with his spectacles on the tip of his nose, you know, just kind of shaking his head, just disappointed. I don't know, maybe like your dad was disappointed in you or your coach or your boss, I don't know. But God's just like, no, not you. Not you. But the good news has been made known in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see God's eternal, unstoppable, unequivocal yes for you in Jesus Christ. In a season of so many no's, can you hear the unhesitating, unstoppable yeses, these yeses from the triune God? Yes, the Father promises to fulfill all of his commitments to you. Yes, the Son promises to intercede for you forever. Yes, the Spirit has sealed you, guaranteeing that you belong to God. Yes, yes, yes. The whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is rejoicing, saying yes over you. What are you going to do with that yes? What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Maybe just take a moment to respond to God. Maybe, there, maybe you do realize you have been living just with more of like a meh or a no or indifference. And you just want to respond to God's love for you by saying yes to him. Maybe there's someone you're worried about, a friend or a child or a parent. Or, and that you just, you don't even know what to pray for. And you just want to say, Jesus, hold that person in your perfect prayer. Whatever you need to do right now, just offer your own response to God.
Thank you, Father, that you say yes to us and that you've proven that to us in the person of Jesus. Help us to be those this week who live our lives responding in kind to you, giving our whole selves to you, surrendering to you, living our lives for you because you have said yes to us. May we say yes to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.